Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, October 24th edition of the show, or Jake, should I call it a panic mode edition of the show? I think that that's where we're at. I think that uh, Ducks Nation, Duckland, has worked itself du- into Ducks- a frenzy. Wait, wait, wait. Did you really just not pull a Ducks Country? Or a du- Ducks Country, Duckland, uh, Ducks Nation. I think that's a Facebook group. Um, whatever iteration you want to use there, I think I think people are ready to, to protest in front of Honda Center right now. I think yeah. we've reached that point. I don't know if I've been as mad as I was about the about a game in a while, uh, or I don't know if I've been as mad as I was for that game on Sunday. I don't think I've been that mad about a game in a long, long time, just because. I, I think that this is, I think, what probably a lot of people would echo about that game. I mean, probably a lot of people also didn't like the fact that they went winless on the road trip. For me, I don't really care as much about that. For me, what more so bothers me is. I think the Ducks actually played a decent enough game against the Red Wings, especially if you were to look at the numbers at five on five and look at, I mean, not even the numbers, just if you go back and watch the game purely at five on five and the Ducks, especially the first two periods, the Ducks had the entire, the puck the entire time. The Red Wings did not get a whole lot of chances. And I think what was so frustrating kind of watching that game develop is I think from my perspective, I was like, okay, everything's good. Sure. They suck on the penalty kill. Sure. They're being undisciplined. Sure. The power play sucks. Um, but at five on five, which is the majority of where the game is played, they are the better team right now. And I think what was infuriating to me and what made me so angry was the fact that they went from what was working and made distinct changes to go away from that, that caused them to essentially be on the back foot and essentially play a garbage, not a garbage third period, but they played a third period where the Red Wings were able to almost catch up and expected goals. And I think probably that is what left a sour taste in my mouth is that this team played a good game. And I think the message that they were delivered by the coaching staff with the changes that were, uh, that were done to the team between the second and third period was just the wrong message completely and set the team up for failure. And I think that what was, is what was so frustrating. Yeah. I think it's hard because although I agree with you, like, Trust the process. I'm 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 pushing the trust the process that narrative that's right thing. now. Yeah, but I think also the context matters. Where if you're losing, you've been losing. It's been a rough start to the season. I think that pl- like even the players may have thought like it might be good to switch things up. And when you're getting battered on the scoreboard, is is switching is switching things up putting Max Jones in a top six role? No, after I'm not. He elbows the guy no, in the but, head. That's not what I said. I said that. No, I, I, I know. I know. The, I was just the, kind of making act, a point. The act of making changes is not necessarily bad. Um, it's you can you can definitely argue that the changes themselves were the incorrect ones. But I just yeah. don't think that like this idea that, oh, well, they changed everything and that's bad because they because on its own, it's bad. I don't think that's true. Um, I don't know. I think that, yeah, like they, they played a fine five on five game up until the third period. They lost, and some of the goals that were allowed, honestly, some of them were bad luck. Some of them were uh, weird bounces. I mean, block some shots. Of them were, some of them were also bad goals, like the second goal that Gibson allowed on the the penalty kill, which also came on a really undisciplined play by Gibson to put the Ducks on the penalty is kill. That the, is that the Perron one-timer? That's the Perron short side one-timer. Is that a where, bad goal, though? Yes, because Gibson's really far out high, and he gets beat short side low. Yeah, but it's a cro- like, it's a cross ice one timer though. It's a cross ice one timer that stays low to the ice. His leg, he should be able to get across there. He shouldn't be as high in his crease. That's a positioning save that he should be making. 
Yeah, I don't know if that's a bad goal, though. I don't know I don't if you know. said bad goal, but I, I don't I, know. It's one that I think that you would you'd look like back to on. You'd like to see him make that save because yes. he's because he's quote unquote John Gibson. But I don't think it's like this horrendous goal either. Um, I don't know. Some of these goals that they allowed. I mean, I definitely agree with you. There were some some positioning issues, some issues with Gibson in terms of like rebound control, let's say. Um, and even sometimes Gibson just kind of floating out outside of his crease um, where he just shouldn't be. And that leads to the goal where the puck goes in off of Jamie Drysdale's skate. So, yeah, he didn't have a great game, you know, by the eye test and by GSAX. The Ducks didn't have a great game by some measures. I'm just not ready to say that that game in and of itself is like this kind of point of demar- line of demarcation where, okay, now because of these events, you know, th- all these things have to change. You know, co- we got to talk coaching firings. Like, I don't know if that's the game to, to pull that from, especially because that was their second best five on five game of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so let, let's do this. Let's start with the positive. I know I put up this like list of what we're going to talk about, but I think before we get into the negatives, because I think I, we're going to have a decent amount to talk about, I think there, there's a fair bit of positive takeaway from this past week, which is that the Ducks played their two best games at five on five. Yeah, this week. And, and they did it. They did it against a Boston team, you know, where they, they didn't win the five on five battle, but they still played a close game against a very good Boston team where you know, they, they ended up going to overtime. Like that's not, that's not nothing. Um, no, it, the, it, it's certainly not. And it I, was the, I, it was the only game of the season, including that game against Detroit, where they were able to keep a team under 1.8 G uh, expected goals against at five on five. And so you really have to keep in mind that this is a ducks team that prior to that, uh, that Boston game, they had really been struggling with, keeping pucks out of dangerous areas and allowing dangerous chances against. I mean, against the Devils, they had allowed over three expected goals against. Against the the Rangers, over three expected goals against. Against the the Kraken, over three expected goals against at five on five. These are all high numbers they were allowing because they were not playing well in their own zone. And then against Boston, they cleaned it up a lot. And I think what really stuck out for me in that game at five on five was specifically on zone entries against, I thought the defense were really tight to the entering forward and were right on them to be able to not give them enough space to create chances. And they were causing turnovers quick and and pushing it the other way. The only flaw in this game, that game for the ducks was on the offensive side. And that was, I think because Boston is just one of the best defensive teams in the entire league. And I think when you notice that the ducks would get out in transition, whether it was Troy Terry, Trevor Zegers, either of those guys who really fly in transition, there was a Boston defenseman or Boston forward right on their hip not giving them space, knocking their their stick out, and, and really causing them some struggles where they couldn't get out into open ice because there was someone on their hip at all times. And that's kind of reflected, right? That that was one of the lowest offensive totals in terms of generating expected goals for. But that was a much better game overall from this team, and it was against one of the best teams in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, and so, I mean, not to, to already go big picture on this, but I think that to address the, the theme here of like panic mode, panic button, it really just depends right now, like how you want to judge this team, which games are you going to look at? You know, they've, well, play, they've played six games. Half of those games, they've played well. Um, and and half of those games, they've been arguably, look, they've looked like the worst team in the league in, in three of those games. So where where does the truth lie is really the question. Yeah, yep, exactly. Well, and I think that, I think that's what I'm really honestly struggling with right now. And I, I guess maybe this is now a, a therapy session 
for, for <laughs> me as a Ducks fan kind of going through this. But I, I think that's what I'm struggling with right now, right? Where you see moments that this team has it, and you see that that if things are aligned correctly, they can put it together and they can play well. And yet there are still poor decisions being made and infuriating decisions being made. And I think the good news is that if those are quickly changed, things things can uh, really come to the positive pretty quickly. But I think what's frustrating is that those decisions aren't being made right now. And I think really kind of, is there anything else you want to add before we jump into the, the special teams play? Uh, did you finish your thought there? I'm not I was sure. about to start talking about special teams, and then I realized I didn't know if you had anything else that you wanted to say because I kind of jumped in on you. No, I, I just really think that for the people who are calling for Akins to be fired, who are calling for, I mean, I'm already seeing, oh, you know, I told you that that this team was worse without Lindholm and Manson or blah, 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 right? Like the, the takes are already flying. And again, like I'll come back to this, which we talked about last week too, but it's a six game sample. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just not a lot to really go off of. And it really is in the eye of the beholder because there are games, there are moments where, like you said, they've looked good, they've looked fine. They've done it at times against very good teams like the Bruins. And so I just don't really know how you come out of this six game sample and conclude that, yeah, like the season is is toast. Um, all the moves were wrong. The coach absolutely needs to be fired t- yesterday. It just seems very, uh, it just seems like very sweeping broad conclusions for a pretty mixed bag of a sample. Like even if you were to say that these six games really, really matter, half of them don't tell this, the story that I think most people think they're telling. That's the problem here. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the whole issue, right? Where looking at and, goals and this and this is why small samples don't really aren't the best. Yes, but I think within the small sample, there are still things to look at, and I think one of the biggest issues with this team is special teams play. Yeah, I think that that is one where if you want to have a legitimate gripe and say, "Hey, sure, we're saying at five on five, it's been a mixed bag here or there," um, but special teams play has been a big issue, both sides of it for this team. And I think a lot of it comes down to the coaching decisions that have been employed by this team. One of the things against the Red Wings that that really stuck out to me was um, on the penalty kill, I believe it was on the Perron goal. It was noticeable, and I, I haven't had a chance to go back and check to see if this is a system they're employing all over the place or if this is just a one-game thing. But they had a 1-2-1 diamond on that Perron goal. And it was pretty obvious where essentially what that means is they're one person high, two guys middle, one person front net covering the guy front net, creating a diamond. And the the PDO cast last week had Jack Hahn on. Um, I believe it was on their Friday Q&A. And Jack Hahn is great at looking at systems, things like that. And he talked about penalty killing and the one-two-one diamond and kind of how it's just really an inefficient system because all it's trying to do is create a turnover to go the other way. And you have a guy high that can get in on the breakaway then. And the issue is, is I think he said, you listen to this also, I think, Felix. But I think it's 90% of goals uh, on the power play are scored by the the team that's on the power play. So you're in this weighted situation against where by trying to speed up the game and have it be this high-pressure system like that, you at times are going to essentially open it up for more goals against with how it's going. And so... I can't tell if that was the system the Ducks were playing the entire time, but by having that high-pressure system, not only uh, are you trying to create 
You're trying to create a turnover going the other way, but if you don't get that, you're opening up passing lanes. And so it's weird because at times the Ducks have looked so passive, but then also in that situation, Grant's up high pressuring the point man, and it opens up a passing lane straight through, and it's a clear one-to-one system. And I'm I'm just really kind of perplexed as to why the Ducks would run that, and maybe it was a one-off, but it just kind of goes to show the issue with this penalty kill of they're just allowing way too many cross-ice passes that are uncontested and not getting sticks into lanes, and it's just creating high-danger chance after high-danger chance against, and the Ducks have one of the worst penalty kills in the league, and it is a massive issue, and it has been throughout all six games, and I think what's surprising to me is that there haven't been huge changes within the personnel outside of maybe going from the first game to the second game. I'm just curious what it's going to take for for Troy Terry to get minutes, right, on the the penalty kill. We've seen it with Mitch Marner in Toronto to a lot of success. And having these high-skilled guys in Shocker, high-skilled guys, if you put them in defensive situations, are going to make make smart plays with the puck to be able to get the puck out of the zone and defend. And and so I I just – I'm curious what it's going to have to take to get to there because that, to me, is the solution here that hasn't happened. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point on the one-two-one – like clearly it's a system that's not working, but this is also, and this is something that Jack Hahn even talked about. Like this is something that's pretty widespread throughout the league right now. A lot of teams are doing this. So it's not as if this is like a choice by Aikens or the coaching staff. That's so, so out of bounds. No one else is doing it kind of thing. Like I agree with you. It's clearly not working. It's not ideal, but I don't think it's this huge faux pas either. If, I mean, maybe it's not the best argument, but if everyone else is doing it, if it's kind of standard practice, uh, I'm not sure how much you can get on them for that. But I think the bigger question, and this is the point that you raised, is the question of personnel usage on the power play or on the penalty kill. Talk about power play, too. But what is it going to take for Dallas Higgins to realize that Derek Grant is not a good penalty killer? I mean, on all these goals, hell, even Jakob Silverberg, you can point to. A lot of these goals, Derek Grant out of position, Ryan Strom, I'll give him a little bit of a pass. You talked about the Perron goal where just kind of staring at the puck at the point and David Perron is left wide open on the flank. What is it going to take to get some of these guys who by the eye test haven't been good penalty killers in the past, statistically haven't been good penalty killers in the past, mainly referring to Derek Grant here since Nick Deloria is is no longer with us. Um, That's the bigger issue is like, yeah, if you're going to use a suboptimal tactic uh, strategy that's one thing but at least get the at least get guys out there that can that can execute it well and right now Dallas Higgins is just using guys who have proven that they can't do that I I just think it's funny right the the concept of a defensive player being kind of this this bigger guy that can get into shooting lanes things Uh like that but it's just like it's odd to me that that's the type of guy that you want on a penalty kill as compared to a more high skilled guy that is good at retrieving pucks and getting pucks, putting his puck, putting a stick into passing lanes and breaking plays up, getting his stick into good spots when he's on the offensive side to to be able to make strong plays. These are guys that are the most high skilled with the puck coming towards them. Why would you not want someone out there like that that is able to do things with the puck and then is able to make a smart play and get it out in a way that other guys aren't? I just don't understand. And this is not necessarily a Ducks issue right now. This is just an overall hockey issue. Why skill is considered a negative when it comes to defensive situations. And this is an overall Mm -hmm. thing within the game, right? People don't talk about skilled players being good in their own zone when most of the time some of the more high-skilled players are, right? Mm -hmm. Like an Austin Matthews, a Mitch Marner, these guys that, that probably aren't considered great defensively, 
they're good defensively. And it's because they have that skill to be able to take it to the offensive side. And so it's just an overall thought process that I think is plaguing this Ducks team at times on the penalty kill of, of being beholden to these roles that players are supposed to be in. Yeah, and I think, I mean, everything that we're saying right now about the penalty kill, which by and large, I think, is is like what's costing that this team points in the standings right now. Like, if you're going to point well, yeah. to anything, that's because they're, they're just giving up goals at such a high rate. You just can't win that way. But yeah. I think everything that you're saying and that we're discussing here applies to the power play as well. Because the power play, and I think it's more egregious than the power play, because the power play is not using, like, the tactics aren't even conventional by NHL standards when we were talking about the one one Like, they're doing stuff that other teams don't really do or that the good teams don't do, and they're not using the right personnel. I mean, you look to a late power play in the first period yesterday against Detroit, and, I mean, it's just kind of adorable watching it. Like, you have you have a two-man advantage, and you have, you're, you're going too deep, which I don't love, but... I think Kevin Shattenkirk is very good on the power play and Fowler can be good there. So I don't hate that completely. Uh, but you're just hammering it from the point. You know, you're completely backed up the entire, the entire goal on a five on three power play is to collapse those penalty killers as much as you can. I think Get it was it? Fowler. It was Fowler Klingberg Klingberg. Well, Klingberg, what came on and as did Shattenkirk, they, 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 they swapped on and off. But okay. the point, the point is that they weren't backing up the, the penalty killers whatsoever. They were content to fire lobs from the blue line, and that that just, that doesn't work at five on four, and much less at five well, on three when you have this extra ice. Real quick, I'll jump. I want to jump in on this, but uh, just to make your point known about the when you're talking about the penalty kill and the goals against, uh, three of the goals, three of the five Detroit goals were on the power play for them. If the Ducks are able to clean that up and not allow any, yeah, it's it, it's a it's a normal hockey game. Yeah. And, and so, but on, to your point on the power play, the thing that was, I think the most frustrating was if you want to go 2D on a five on three, sure. What well, I also should point out that Jakob Silverberg was out there. Yeah. For, it was, for, for, for reasons unknown. But they, no, they were able to change lines for on the five on three. And the thing that I think was so frustrating was it wasn't just the 2D that were out there, but they ran two guys high, three guys low. And so I just don't understand the concept, right, of you have three defenders on the ice. Why would you leave yourself so easy to be defended having essentially two guys low to cover the three guys and just one man just going back and forth and getting in a lane? It's a poor usage of space. It's a poor usage of the opportunity that you have. Why would you not want a guy in a bumper spot or in a lower spot that can really get more open? Why would you not want... Uh, two guys low. It, it, there's just so many better ways to go about doing it than having two men high on the point to hammer a point shot. Like, we're yeah, five I, I, I don't think that's the biggest issue there, although I agree it's an issue. Um, it's it's more so the fact that they're not using that space in front of them to collapse the penalty killers. Because if you have two guys up top like that, that's fine. But use that ice. You know, they're, they're sit, literally like, I can post screenshots. They're sitting at the blue line. Why would five you, on three. Why would you use that? Why would you want two guys high though? There. Why would you not want just one high and and then more even guys, with, and then and then more guys low that can crash the net if you do get a good chance and there's a rebound. So there. the thing is, with two guys high, you have your two flankers and you have your one guy in the slot. With each of those, you have a little triangle where you can isolate or try to isolate a penalty killer and create a mismatch. Okay. So you know you work it down from the point. 
to the, the face-off dot and then try to get into the slot or back and forth. You can try to isolate different sides of the ice. I agree with you. It's not optimal. I don't think that that's the death knell, but the whole thing doesn't work, right? Like, like we, we, we're, we're picking out issues left and right, and the results bear it out. It's just not working both from a production standpoint, they're not getting goals, and from a shot generation standpoint. Like, the Ducks aren't producing shots. They're not getting attempts. They're not getting quality looks at a at anywhere close to a league average rate right now. And and all these things that we're talking about, all these issues that, that you're raising, they all play they all play a, a very significant role for sure. Yeah. And so I'm looking right now. So the first unit was Fowler, Klingberg, and then it was Strom, Zegris, Terry. And then the second unit on the five on three was Henrique, Silverberg, McTavish, Shattenkirk, Fowler. Yeah. <laughs> I I just why would you? Why would you not want? Like this is something Contour. that's also Vetrano. Yeah, I mean, he's has he not shown that he's a lethal shooter at this point? Like um, Vetrano, I don't think has been getting regular power play minutes. Yeah, and and so that's like to me the the both of the like both the special teams and or sorry both the penalty kill and the power play are indicative of this broader issue where Aikens just doesn't seem to know which, you know, what his specific player's strengths are, or at least how to leverage those strengths. Because I think at five on five, he's making, some, as a coach, he's making some strides. Some, you know, I'm not saying he's he's the next coming of Scotty Bowman or anything, but I think that there's been some improvement there. But at, on the penalty kill and on the power play, it almost seems like it's getting worse. Like like the decisions are becoming more baffling as time, is, as time has gone on. Yeah, it's almost... <sighs> It's almost like he bought his own hype last year, right? Where everyone was talking about how the power play looks so much better oh, yeah. la- last year. Oh, and yeah. the underlying numbers were not actually that. And they were just kind of like a normal bottom tier power play. They, like, they no- were nothing at, amazing. No, they were as bad as they were the prior season. Yeah, which is what they were the prior season. True. Like, they weren't like, like they weren't as bad as the historic goal numbers that they had. Like they weren't the, the big improvement over the prior year that people were painting them out to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, it, it, I think that that's the frustration. And I mean, if you want to get into, I think the, the, I mean, this is your last topic, but I think it kind of plays into to what we're talking about, which is what's not working in this lineup right now specifically. And to me, the biggest eyesore, the biggest thing that jumps out from a numbers perspective and on ice uh, is the, the second line of, of McTavish, Strom and Vetrano. Those guys just aren't clicking. And not only are they not producing offense or they're not generating offense, but they're also, I believe they're the, the team's worst defensive line. Like they're giving up the most coming back the other way. And, you know, again, some of these numbers are going to be a little all over the place. I, I don't believe that that's actually the Ducks' worst line just on talent, but they've played like it. And I think that it, it becomes really a question of what do you do with that? What's the what's the solution? How patient are you willing to be? Because I still believe that that can be a competent line. Yeah. So let's just kind of really quickly. This is the the four lines that the Ducks have run out the most uh, so far this season. Henrique Zegers Terry fifty seven percent expected goals four percentage. They have they generate so three expected goals four per sixty allowed two point three one expected goals against. Vetrano and that checks out also with how they've played. Like yeah. when they when they're on the ice, 
Sure, they may give up some chances against by allowing 2.3 expected goals against per 60, which is honestly right around league average. But the thing that they do so well is when they get out into transition and get into open ice, they're able to enter the zone with some speed and cause some chaos. And you saw that even on the first goal last night or yesterday in Detroit that it wasn't exactly the prettiest play ever, but because of their ability to get in on the rush and also on the forecheck at times, they're able to create havoc and create a scoring chance kind of out of nothing. And Zegers is able to finish the, the play there. And that's yeah. what they've done best. And what and a play by Troy Terry, by the way. Yeah, Troy um, Terry's been insane. Like, there's yeah. only been, I think, two games that they've really been bad this year. And that was the Boston game. And the Boston game, they weren't that bad. They just weren't able to generate because Boston was really good. And the New Jersey game. Those mm-hmm. were the two games that I think that they were a bit subpar. Um, primarily the Jersey game as compared to the Boston game. Um, and then you've got Vetrano McTavish Strom, who are sitting at uh, 32.23 expected goals for percentage. In contrast to Zegris, uh, uh, the Zegris line, who uh, get 3.09 and allowed and allowed 2.31, the uh, Strom line gets 1.61 expected goals for per 60 and allow 3.39 expected goals against. And just even from an eye test perspective, this line is hemmed in their own zone a lot. Like it, it's noticeable how much they're in their own zone. And when they're in their own zone, they get lost at times and allow for a uh, dangerous scoring chance right in the slot. And so the issue is when you're caught in your own zone defending a bunch, you're not able to get shots off on the other net to generate offense. And I think that's the biggest issue for this team is the breakout. And it's not necessarily an issue of generating offense. It's an issue of being stuck in their own zone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that part of the the issue for that line is that, you know, who's the, who's really the transition player on that line? Who's the, who's the guy that's going to carry the mail? You know, they don't really have that or they just don't have many of them. I mean, look, I think Ryan Strom is a good player and I think he's a good signing, but I think that playing with Artemi Panarin in New York really helped. It was the perfect fit because Panarin is the guy who's going to carry the puck up ice. He's the guy who's got the mobility. He's the guy who's got the puck handling. And Strom is a good play connector. He's a guy who can make that, you know, that that little short area pass, that chip off the wall, but he doesn't have really the foot speed to carry the mail. And when I say mail, I mean the puck. I think that really, like, if you were to just flip Strom and McTavish and let McTavish play center, because you can watch, you can see it when McTavish has the puck that's when they're able to move it. He's the only one on that line who's really able to create plays through the middle of the ice. That's something if you look at some of the manually tracked data from Mitch Brown in in the CHL, that's something that Mason McTavish was extremely good at, was transitioning the puck from the D zone to the offensive zone. Yeah. And and so that's a great call right there of of that. The question is whether they would want to put Strom on the wing or not, but, I mean, that kind of just really ties into exactly how it would work well. Um, so let's let's get to the other two lines real quick. You've got Lundestrom, Silverberg, Comtois, who are sitting at, uh, where is that? 47.09 expected goals for percentage. They produce 1.94 expected goals for per 60, allow 2.18 expected goals against per 60. Yeah. Honestly, not horrible, just kind of low event. For, yeah, and like, honestly, for a third line um, that's not playing a ton, that's not... I mean, I prefer them to get fourth line minutes, but yeah, like, but I think considering with, that Jakob Silverberg is where he's at in his career, I think those those numbers still aren't ideal. Um, you know, they're not generating much of any offense, but at least they're not giving it all back. Yeah. So 
And then and then you've got Jones, Grant, Regenda. And they're sitting at 48.77 expected goals for percentage. They generate 2.88 expected goals for per 60 and allow 3.02 against. So more or less the exact opposite of the third line, even though they have similar expected goals yeah. for percentages. They're all gas, no breaks. <laughs> yeah, more high high or yeah, high chance for, high chance against. And well, so which I makes think- sense because Grant's not good defensively. Yeah, and honestly, like I go back and forth so much on this line because on one hand, I think Max Jones like did not ingratiate himself to me yesterday with that hit in the third period. It, it was a garbage hit, garbage elbow that has no place in this game, regardless of the score, regardless of what's I'm, happening. And I'm elbow to the head garbage. It, I'm honestly shocked it wasn't talked about more because it was bad. It was um, really bad. Like it was really bad, and it's garbage that he's getting higher ice time after that. Like that's not the, something a guy should be should benefit from. But in that game, though, Max Jones did show some things. I mean, he did. There was that play off the wall where he did the little half spin. He was along the right wall, and that created some space, and he was able to cut into the middle of the ice. Like, that was... We haven't really seen that from Max Jones. And then Pavel Regenda, like... Man, was I wrong about this dude? Because everywhere he plays on this team, like, their 5-on-5 numbers just improve, and he finds ways to get to the net. He, He makes the right reads... Um, I'm eating serious crow on this guy and happy to, he's a, he's a good story. He's got some of the best five on five numbers of any duck right now, just like individually, not as a line. And so, yeah. it, so when you zoom out and you look at the numbers of these four lines, like really the, the, the only true, true problem in there is that second line fix that. And I think you're in, you're in such a better place. And I don't think it's like unfixable. No, really quickly, I just want to bring this up because we were talking about the fourth line. It's kind of insane when you look at just when you separate the the line numbers and look at just individual player numbers. Yeah, because we just we just talked yeah. about how how the the fourth line actually hasn't been horrible. But you look at Derek Grant's numbers. <laughs> yes, he's at twenty four percent expected goals for percentage. <laughs> Max Jones thirty five percent, which means that when they are not playing with Pavel Regenda. Dude, I'm telling you, they are like a bat. They are playing just. Pavel Regenda is the truth. I know. I'm. He's I'm carrying hyping these up. dudes around the around the ice. I'm hyping him up right now for you. I'm curious. I'm extending the the sample size to see if I can get any other lines that that have Max Jones or uh, Derek Grant on it, just out of curiosity. Uh, Derek Grant, Max Jones, Jacob Silverberg, zero percent expected goals, four percentage. <laughs> Brett, Le- Brett Leeson, Derek Grant, Max Jones, zero percent expected goals, four percentage. Uh, yeah, basically, when you take Pavel Regenda off of the the wing from Grant and Jones, things fall apart pretty quick. Well, look at look at the split too with Mason McTavish, because McTavish is on the team's worst five on five line, and yet. His own expected goals for percentage is at 46.2%. Ryan Strom's is at 37.8%. And so again, like this is all a small sample. One game can really flip these numbers, but it just goes to show, I think we can kind of get a sense for where maybe the disconnect or the problem is coming from on these lines. Yeah, so let's do this. Before we kind of jump into this and give our solutions and how all of this gets fixed... Uh, let's get a word from our sponsor. And, uh, if let's just say the ducks do fix all this, they're going to be an exciting team. They're going to be an exciting team all season. And so we're all excited 
for the hockey season. And I think it's agreed that there's no better way to watch than going to games live and in person. That's where 714 Tickets comes in. 714 Tickets is a locally owned ticket company in Anaheim that never charges you taxes or service fees, unlike StubHub or Ticketmaster. They're located right in front of Honda Center, but also have a website, 714tickets.com, where you earn 5% back in rewards on every online purchase. So let's recap. You get to see your favorite team play, you pay no fees, and are and you can earn rewards back for future purchases. And so, I mean, this is a no-brainer, guys. 714 Tickets, local company, local brand. Actually, way, way back on, yeah, uh, on the, the original the, sponsor of the original The original, original sponsor. Uh, they, are, they are the go-to, I think, if you're looking for Ducks tickets. I mean, they, no fees. No fees. Like, like, say no more. No fees. They have a website. You can go get it there. Or if you want to go in person, you're someone like that, you can go in person and get them before the game. They're right across the street from Honda Center. So it's a no-brainer, guys. Shop for your Ducks tickets at 714tickets.com or stop by their office for a more, more personal feel. Check them out and use the promo code CTP to get 10% off your purchase. There you go. Go check and them out. Let's do this. Let's do, do the throwback. 714 tickets. I was, 714 tickets. That was in my head the whole time you were saying that you, you were go. reading that ad. There you go. There you go, folks. All right. Um, yeah, so let's jump into it. How do you how do you fix fix this team? I think How do you that, fix this second line? Yeah. Like there's a part of me that wants to say, like, just just sit. Like let this play out a few like a couple more games. Maybe even five more games. I, I really think that like that if you do nothing, there's a possibility that that second line could work itself out. The problem is like how many more of those these games can you stand? It's not going well. What I would do, and I threw this out there on Twitter last night. I think you I think if you want to blow it all the way up, here's what you can do: keep the Zegras Terry line together with Henrique, bump our boy Regenda up um, to to that line with Strom and Vetrano. And this isn't really putting him on the second line so much as it is getting McTavish off the wing and at center. And so Regenda Strom Vetrano, I think that Regenda has been great at five on five. Whoever he plays with seems to improve. And I think at that point, that line becomes a little bit more of like a, a checking type line with some offensive ability. Which, which is somewhat what Vetrano has been throughout his right, career. Right, like, like Frank Vetrano, like I know that he's got that excellent shot, but he's not really... He's just not a true top six forward. No, um, he's a kind of a tweener. Like you can, you can have him anywhere in your top nine, and as long as the complementary pieces fit with him, he will excel. But hasn't been the case so far. Third line, Max Contois, who I think is having himself. You know, I don't want to call it a resurgent season because the results still aren't great. But he's, I think he's been good. I think he's been good. He's playing better than I think we've come to expect from him. And like yeah. overall. Um, I mean, all, there was a, all, there, all, although the penalty against Detroit was bad. Discipline there was, was really bad. There was a zone entry against Detroit where he had this little move where he kind of he did a little spin where he was coming in, put mm-hmm. it back between the skates, sp- spun back the other way, and then a perfect feed for a zone entry. So just that little those little details haven't always been in his game. So Max Contois, Mason McTavish at center on this third line, and you know what? Like total hill Mary dart throw, but call up Braden Tracy. Like had yeah. a, had a decent preseason is looking great in San Diego. I think that his style, the way that he's able to skate with the puck, it's going to mesh well with Mason McTavish and Contois. And then on that fourth line, Jones, Lundestrom, Silverberg. 
You know, Lundestrom and Silverberg, uh, they've, as a line, those two together, they haven't been awful. And Max Jones has, has shown some things, and his own line has not been terrible either. Uh, missing from this mix is one Derek Grant. Yep. And I and I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be Braden Tracy. Maybe you, you call up someone else. But, you know, maybe you sign Rocco Grimaldi to an yeah. NHL contract. But guess, the point, how many, guess how many shots on goal Rocco Grimaldi has in I think it's game. 20. It's 20 shots on goal in four games. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, insane. I, I mean, but but so the point is just that, like, if you really want to try something different, I think this is what you do. There's other ways to do that. I mean, a simpler fix would just be, you know, instead of McTavish, Strom, Vitrano, just have Strom, McTavish, Vitrano. Um but that's what I would do up front. I mean, we, we haven't even touched the blue line yet, but that's what I would do. Yeah. And, and I mean, or Glenn Godden. Glenn Godden, I think, has also been good looking at some of the numbers. Like, there are I guys... Just, that, I, I there just guys, don't think Derek Grant can be in your lineup. <laughs> like, well, I think it, you can't have Derek Grant and Jacob Silverberg. I think you, you can only have one of those two in your lineup. Fair. For your forward groups. Yeah. Let's do this. We haven't really talked about the defense so far, though. We have not at all. <laughs> and we probably should. And... What do you do? Do you do the same thing and write it out with what they've been doing lately? Well, yesterday, because like Fowler Dry- Drys- Fowler yeah. Drysdale were good yesterday. They were they, really, really good. They were, and I think that you know the the John Klingberg experience so far has been really all over the place. And I mean, that's kind of what you sign up for a little bit with with John Klingberg. Like he is not good defensively, um, but he gives he gives it back or can give it back uh, on the other side of the ice. So. I say kind of write it out. I don't think Nathan Bollier should play. I'm, I'm actually like baffled that he's playing at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what else he has to do to show that he's just not up to speed. But I'm kind of of the opinion of just just sit on this. I mean, man, Kulikov and Klingberg have just been so bad. Like, that's my I, only, like, that's like, my only concern. I, I, right now, as you were talking, I was trying to think it through. I was like, what can they do? Can they put Klingberg with Shattenkirk? Is that something that they could do? I mean, I, I honestly, like, if you were going to change anything... I would just go back to how it was to start the season. I think that yeah. they, they they blew it up too fast. Kulikov and Drysdale played well together. Um, Klingberg and Fowler were much better than Klingberg and Kulikov have been, like by orders of magnitude. So I would just go back to that, honestly. I, I'm actually kind of puzzled why they, they ditched that so quickly. Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit of reactionary, but I, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else they could do. Maybe like, I'm just trying to think if you can call up anyone, if... Maybe I mean I want to see Colton White get more of a run out because in the small sample size, yeah, he he's been really really good, and it's one of those things where I'm just not even sure what he is. But what we have in the small amount of data that we have, it, it looks promising. And so maybe you try Colton White with John Klingberg, and and you put Kulikov with with Shattenkirk, and, and see what that can do. Yeah, huh? That's that's a bold bold solution. But yeah, like I, I think there Colton there are things that can happen. Colton White of those three of the you know the big three, uh, Nathan Bolia, Simon Benoit, <laughs> and uh, Colton White. He's looked the best of those three. It's a incredibly low bar, but he's done it, and I think he should be playing. Uh, it, it's it's tough right now. Well, it's Curtis right is now. asking when because we haven't really talked about it, but when Vakaninen comes back, is that something that you could see them pairing with Klingberg? I mean, we don't really we don't even is know. Vakaninen, honestly, is Vakaninen a top four that. defenseman? I don't. I mean, j- to be fair, we have no idea about Vakanaiden. It's been pretty quiet on him. I haven't seen yeah, anything. Read there's anything. been zero. Like, which makes me wonder if it, how serious this is, 
And so I guess that's more so kind of where this should be at is not even speculating when he'll be back. Uh, um, by the way, Kevin Shattenkirk and Nathan Beaulieu, 30.9 expected goals for percentage. Like, <laughs> you can't win games when one of your pairings is giving up 70% of the expected goals for the other team when they're out there. Like, they, it's just impossible. Yeah. Yeah, uh. it, it, it's Nathan Boyu is not good. The penalty he took to start the like we we want to talk about Nathan Boyu, right? And people would talk about the reason he's here is intangibles, physicality, things like that. Well, the tangibles aren't pretty. The tangibles aren't pretty, and even the intangibles, you don't want someone like that taking penalties like he did to start the game against Detroit and putting the team shorthanded and putting the team in a hole right away. I mean, he's already a negative value, and it's like how how like how deep do you want to dig this hole by taking a yeah. penalty? Yeah, like not not good at all. Um, so let's do this. I had one other kind of point to, to talk about. So I, I think we need to talk about it, right? There's a lot of people that are calling sure. for Dallas Aiken's head. And it's not us for once. Look at it's us. Not. It's not. Look at us. It's Who not. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? There, but there's been a lot of people kind of ask me, right, of, okay, when does Aikens get fired? What does he need to do? Where do things go? Different things like that. I think my genuine opinion on this is it really depends on what Pat Verbeek's, um, Pat Verbeek's view of this season was. What his expectations for this season were. If his expectations were to truly be competitive, and at 20 games, they are still like this, then I think that Dallas Aikens is gone. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's that simple. If 10, 20 games in, they're still playing but, like but this. But we don't think that those are his expectations, though, based on the LeBron interview. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I think it depends. But so getting into this, right? The pros and cons of, of keeping Akins if this continues. Because I think that that, let's say we hit the 20 game marks. I think the pro, the, the easy pro in this, right, is that you can say, well, Connor Bedard. Like that. That I mean, hell, easy. it doesn't even have to be Bedard at this point. True, like, Mitchkov, the, Fantilli. the other, There we go. That's the other guy that's now popped up that I did not hear about. Play silly was. for Fantilli. There you go. Um, but I think that's the obvious pro w- with this. I think where I've kind of settled in at though the con of keeping Akins through this right is that I think that this is a team where you almost need to know what you have. And because you have players on this team that are in their prime and entering their prime, you have guys like Troy Terry. You have guys like Matt. I mean, Troy Terry is 25 years old. Like that is someone that is in his prime and is going to need a new contract. You have guys like Max Comtois. You have guys like Isaac Lundestrom on this team for as much as we, our view of him. Um, And I think you need to know what you have with these guys under a coach that is going to get the most out of them and have them playing a positive system. And if that is not what's happening 20 games in, I think then you are losing a prime season from a Troy Terry. And I I think if the decision is to fully tank for Bedard, I, I think you need to start contemplating whether you move a Troy Terry. And that may sound sacrilegious to a lot of people, especially coming from me. But you have to think about the long-term outlook for this team. And if this team is this bad still right now, then that is a conversation that needs to be had, especially with where his next contract is going to be. Premature. And I think that, well, let me finish. Premature. I think you, and but I think in order to have that conversation, you need to know what you have uh, from those guys with a good coach. And I think that that is the thing with where I'm sitting out with this of 
I think 20 games in, that's the con is that this is now continuing with these guys. It's now a downhill, downhill, downhill continuum with these guys. But we just talked about it, though. Like, it's not as bad as it seems. No, no, no. I know. So I'm simply saying if it's not as bad as it seems, but they're still sitting at second worst expected goals for percentage in the league. Yes, but like we just talked about it, though. Like, this is a six-game sample. Where like, for ha- where for the, half the, the game, the, the key in this is if this continues, if this is still yes. happening at the twenty game mark. Yes, but the way you're describing it is almost like it might actually continue. I don't know. That's I mean, we it, don't. It, I it may, it may not. We talked about all the different right. things in the beginning where with how it could change. I, I, I think that yes, there, there's a clear fork in the road. Like it could go either way. I, I just think that to your point about like the, you know, the the pros and cons. I think the con of keeping. Uh, the, the, the con of keeping Aikens really is that from a development standpoint, like how long can you stand your younger players? Um, how long can you stand your, your, your younger players getting beat up or playing in a system that's not maximizing them or just not learning like how to win in the NHL, like not learning what it's like, what, what it feels like to win. Like how long can you really afford that? And I think Dallas Aikens like so far, we just haven't really seen him instill the kind of systems and the, and take the kind of decisions that really maximize his players and really lets them let, lets them be their the best version of themselves. And until that happens, we can't really say that the developments that, that's going on is optimal. I think that there's there's clearly development throughout the roster. I'm not saying Dallas Higgins hasn't developed them at all, but if it keeps going this way, if if like you were saying with the five on five play, if it keeps going potentially south then the players, it's like students in a class. Like, I'm just not getting anything out of this instruction anymore, right? I need someone to teach me something that's going to help me. And you have another lost season of development. And, I mean, it's a tough, tough call, right? Because Connor Bedard could be a generational talent. But, I mean, look at what the Canadians did last season, right? I mean, you can have it both ways. You can potentially be very bad and have a coach who just understands development. I I think it's different, But that has to come from the top. True. Yeah, like, I, I, like, I, I think the, it. I think it is a little bit different with this current Ducks roster than that Montreal roster. But is it though? Like this is a, this is something that we should be very clear about. Like we don't really like as much as you and I believe that um, Pat Verbeek went out and got a John Klingberg, a Ryan Strom, a Frank Vitrano to make this team better and to and to push it a little more this season to try to maybe flirt with the playoffs. That's our interpretation. Pat Verbeek has come out and said almost the opposite of what we're saying. That's fair. That's right. Fair. And so do we really even know that that's the intention? Um, I would I would argue, as have you argued, that, that the intention is to try to be better. But there's a very real possibility that this is another kind of like just we're going to hold our card season. Uh, and hey, if we're bad, oh, oh, oh boy. You know, I guess we have to draft a really good player now, yeah. even if it's not Connor Bedard. So it's tough. I, I, I think that we're at a very weird inflection point. But doesn't it also feel a little silly to have this conversation six games in? Yeah, just a, just a little bit, right? Well, it, I don't, I'm main, not saying it's unjustified. The main reason why I put that question there is the fact that that is what a lot of the questions on Twitter are. That well, is what a lot yeah. of the conversation is, and so I think it's a valid eh, to try to address what the the ongoing narrative, ongoing conversation is right now between Ducks fans. I'm, I'm just not fully like, and this is not really related to this current thread but just i'm not really ready to say this what this team is until we get to about 20 games and people hate that take for me but i just think 
that's just kind of how these things work. And the metrics that we look at that are more predictive, like shot differentials, expected goal differentials, right now don't paint a great picture of this team and potentially could end up being really bad. But we just don't know yet. Too early. Yep. Yep, exactly. The, the, uh, the, the problem for the Ducks is they're just losing a bunch of games in the process. Like, like this is the thing, right, is that not only are they not really playing their best hockey at 5-on-5, five five, but they're also just getting drilled for every mistake. Like, there is just no room for error. And 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 honestly, like that that level of, of failure to start the season could potentially lead to some dicey decisions. And I mean, and you t- you touched on it. Like we're kind of seeing it play out with Dallas Aikens, where some of these adjustments just aren't the way to go. It's not trusting the process. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Trust the process. Um, I came up with that. <laughs> uh, I I also think that maybe. Um, I, I think there should be some conversation to be had that they did go on an East Coast road trip. I and mean, that, that that does, like, especially for a team that's trying to gel, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. So, again, I'm not willing to, to sell all my duck stock. I'm not willing to say just that the season is done. Like, literally, and again, Twitter mentions, replies, not the best metric. But this is these are things that are being said. I am not yep. coming up with this just blindly. Yep, exactly. All right. Um, anything else you want to touch on before we get to questions? And I've got a game to be played oh, with you. I like playing games. It has nothing to do with hockey. It's just something that pops into my head of, well, this this podcast is going to be a, maybe a little bit of a downer. So let's, let's have some fun. I don't think it fun. is a downer. I think, we're, I think we're saying is just, I think everything we're saying is just like, yeah, th- there's some things that aren't working. There's some things that are working. And right now we just don't fully know yet. And it could go either way. Like maybe that's just not a great fun hot take answer that the people want. But I think that that's the only rational way of looking at this with what's with what we have with the information we have available. So do you want the non-hockey game first or do you want questions first? I think we should we should get to questions. Okay, so we're going to start with our discord. Uh, SESPR or SC Spur uh, said, what changes would you make to the top? And this is from our Discord, by the way, uh, in YouTube and in Twitch. Oh, wait, have we talked about the reverse retro on this podcast? Oh, no, we haven't, actually. Go oh. for it. Okay, well, the Ducks announced. I mean, if you're if you're a patron of ours, we've already recorded an, an episode about this. <laughs> I think that, that's that's why we, we have it yeah. didn't pop into our head. But the, the, the Ducks reverse retro was released last week, and it is a white mighty ducks jersey the original jersey so with no shoulder patches um unfortunately and instead of the eggplant and jade you've got the orange and black motif it's a solid jersey we did our tier ranking over the weekend of the reverse retro jerseys and i guess i'll spoil it i had it in my a tier not quite s tier not quite the top tier because it they, they didn't really do anything super crafty to me but it came out really solid I am very curious to see how this jersey will look with orange pants, though. That could completely make or break this. Like, if it looks good with orange pants, it might have a shot at the S tier to me. But if it doesn't, I don't know. We're, yeah, we're, it, in, we're in rough waters there. It, it was A tier for me also. I think it's a nice look. I it's, think a safe, it's a safe play. It's a safe play. I mean, it's it's one of the most iconic jerseys in hockey. You're applying the, the current colors. It, it's a safe play. Let me ask you this. Favorite jersey, least favorite jersey? Ooh, my favorite jersey. Hmm. Should I should I revisit my tierings? I don't have them. no no off the top of your head. Who did who did I have in my S tier? Oh, I don't I don't know. You know my favorite jersey. 
This is so hard. I'm going to say the Canadians jersey. Least favorite. Least favorite is the Hurricanes. Okay. Like, like not even close. My favorite jersey is the Florida Panthers. The Florida Panthers jersey is absolutely fantastic. The vibes are immaculate on it. <laughs> I'm sick of that line. The vibes are immaculate, I'm Felix. sick of that line. <laughs> and then least favorite is the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, yeah, by the way, Bionic Chris asks, is that confirmed orange pants? Yes, the Ducks website. Uh, it was uh, in their article. It was in their we article. Can't, we that... can't be accused of rumor mongering. <laughs> no, it was Puck, in their article. Puck Empire, do not <laughs> aggregate this. I mean, they, they actually could aggregate this because it's correct. I Yeah, I, I was a victim of aggregation last week. Yep, yep, yep. It happens to the best of us. Yep. Um, um, yes, but yeah, it the, the Jersey program's good. There's some good ones. There's some bad ones. If you want our entire like in-depth breakdown, we, we went, ham. we did it. We did like an hour and a half. Yeah. It was long. It an was hour and a half long. on a Saturday morning after just having coffee. Yeah. So it was, the vibes were there. The vibes were there. There. Hey, there you go. All right. Back to the questions. SCSP, uh, Spurs said, what changes would you make to the top nine, given that the second line has been so poor this season? We kind of answered that already. Just wanted yeah. to give a shout out. Yeah. Um, Lewis, by the way, thinks we're both wrong about Nashville. We both dislike the Nashville jersey. I mean, they just did the same thing as their home jersey, but just slapped on the old logo. Yep, it's bad. Uh, Olaf is Berserker said, what is the right level of reaction this far into the season, and why are we all overreacting? The right level of reaction depends on what's happening, and... Based on what's happening, I think the right level is some concern, but also let's see this how this plays. Yeah, I, I think the one thing I'll add is that I think it's important to look at the overall numbers so far at, on ice because that those numbers are what's happened. Like, like yeah, the, and and they're they, not they, getting if they were getting clobbered every single game, that strengthens the argument for freaking out. But that's not what's happened. Yeah, and, and so I, I think understanding exactly the numbers. Uh, of what's been going on. And now granted they are the second worst team in the league at five on five, but understanding yes. that and looking at how that can be fixed is I think important, but I think kind of taking this to the edge of all things where um, this is going to extend forever, that that's too far. All right. Hey, OD flow said, why is there a perception that Derek Grant is a skill for penalty penalty killer? Can you please debunk this myth and explain certain aspects of a game that make him poor in this area? So Derek Grant actually a couple years back was good at penalty killing. Well, he also scored a, a couple penalty shorthanded penalty goals. Kill, shorthanded penalty which goals. probably helps out significantly with shorthanded war. Yeah, and so I don't know if he was ever a great penalty killer. To be honest, I think he was kind of given the green light for being aggressive and trying to break up plays and and getting out on the rush, but. I, I just don't think that he actually has a good read of the game. Like his instincts don't seem that good to me. They're, they're, he just gives up so much when he's out there. But I think the reason that he's trusted is because, well, he's quote unquote done it before, and and he just kind of looks like a safe player. It just it doesn't seem like he's making Ooh, any mistakes. Really quickly, sorry, I wanted to bring this up. It was something that you and I texted about today. Um, there, so on the PDO cast today, they had. Um, they had a uh, was it Cam Sharon on who used to work for the Maple Leafs. Yeah. And he had this point and they were it was an episode where they essentially every Monday they're adopting a team talking about them. This week they were talking about the Sabres. So you can ignore all the Sabres talk, but they were specifically talking about Rasmus Dahlin. And one of the points of the conversation is he's kind of this all gas type defenseman that gets out um, in the rush and can really create offense for you. 
And one of the things Cam Strawn said is that they should be deploying him in the defensive zone. And it really kind of got me thinking just about how counterintuitive it kind of is how we approach defensive zone starts and how basically his argument there was where guys are most dangerous is out in transition. Transition goals are where teams are most dangerous. That's where most goals are honestly generated at this point in time in the league. And so why would you not want one of your most gifted playmakers out there in his own zone where he, when he gets the puck, he can spring the offense to go out in transition as compared to having set offensive zone plays where the defense is in good structures and everything's kind of more so to the outside. And it just got me thinking just how backwards we really think about defensive zone because we have defensive, quote unquote, defensive type players out there where their main play is is when they get the puck, they chip it out. And what does that end up doing? The guys come right back in and get more offensive zone time off of that. And while, yes, the plays may be to the outside, by getting trapped in your own zone, you're not able to attack as a result of that. So, so, Oh, sorry. And and so it's just funny how, like, for instance, you look at Trevor Zegers. The coaching staff never deploys him in the D zone. Well, yeah, this was what I was going to... You want to play a game real quick? Uh, The hockey? This is a hockey game. Okay. Uh, Guess who has the highest uh, defensive zone start percentage of any duck? Uh, probably Derek Grant or Isaac Lundestrom. Wow, you were so close and yet so far away. So number two is Derek Grant. Number three is Isaac Lundestrom. Do you want to? Do you want? Do you want one last try? Uh, we're talking about forwards, right? This is out of all players. Oh, all players. Uh, probably Nathan Boyu. Jakob Silberberg. Oh, okay. You were you were dancing around it with yeah. guys that play on his line, uh, but twenty point five percent. Of his of his shifts that start with face off start in the, uh, or sorry, of any shift start on the defensive zone. Guess who is the Ducks' lowest defensive zone start? Trevor Zegers. Yes, but guess he's, the he, number. He's probably maybe two percent. Oh wow, uh, three point eight five percent. So okay. you, uh, didn't I knew, I knew, I knew it was really low. <laughs> but that to your point though, like all of the offensive players are at the bottom of the column. And all of the t- all of the worst players are at the top of the column, and I think it well, just goes to show this kind of weird mismatch, right? Well, and and look at right, look at how a lot of the goals are scored by the Trevor Zegers line. And I'm curious if we went back and actually tallied them all up, and it isn't too hard to do. But how many of them would be from transition type plays, I and think how many would be from yeah. offensive zone like zone time plays? Because I mean, I I don't know the answer to this. It's just me throwing it out there. But what has a higher likelihood of scoring a goal, like a, a faceoff win in the offensive zone? Or a, a, an odd man rush that you can generate out of your defensive zone. Odd man rush easily. Probably the odd man rush. And so well, not yeah. I mean yes, we can't state well, we, that for a fact. We don't know. But yeah, we don't know. But the point is just that like if it were true that the odd man rush is higher or any kind of rush play, let's say, you probably want those great offense or d- those great offensive players to actually start back in the defensive zone. Yep. So yep. Yep, exactly. It's and an I mean, interesting at, thought. At the end of the day, zone starts don't matter. They've been proven. They to don't not even matter. correlate. That's the thing. Well, the reason why is because essentially most most uh, shifts start on the fly, so zone starts don't matter as a, a result of that. I mean, like I said, that the, the highest percentage is twenty. But right? having said that, I think there are a lot of times where Zegers is taken off of the ice in his D zone. So technically, that wouldn't have been considered a defensive zone start but he is not left out there when there's a face-off in his own zone. Yeah. 
And so that that's just something. All right, we have a lot of Discord questions, so we're gonna keep blitzing. We also have one in Twitch. We'll, we'll Twitch, YouTube, start throwing questions. Put question at the front so it's easy for me to sort and find. Um, let's see. Uh, follow up question from Appa uh, said: Is there any positive aspect to Derek Grant's game? Like any at all? Why is he in the NHL? Uh, why uh, Why is the reason that he is? Uh, I mean, he's he, saying is the yeah. He Go used ahead. to be he used to be a good penalty killer, or at least he used to be good at getting shorthanded offense, but like that's really it. I don't think he's yeah. good at anything else. Yep. Yep. Um let's see. The Puff said, uh the ESPN broadcast says that says the Ducks need some toughness. Is there any player out there that you would actually look to trade for to improve this quote unquote lack of toughness that also would improve the team? I don't think that's a problem for this team. Yeah, I don't I don't really agree with that notion at all like yeah. like adam Henrique is a physical player and gets into dirtier areas max comtois is considered that frank vetrano is considered like that is what frank vetrano is like to the yeah. t and, i just and don't think that's max their jo- problem. like no well it's not just not their problem but it's also just not what they're lacking and the yeah. whole i just want to briefly bring this up the whole reason why the espn broadcast team brought that up is because Detroit was in their own zone defending the entire time, so they were able to hit the Ducks because they never had the puck. Yeah, like, like that's the only way you can make a hit is if you don't have the puck. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> the the concept of Detroit being the more physical team happened because they were in their own zone trapped most of the game. Yeah, like I, like, it, like it's just it's just not a, a worthy conversation. Yep. Ken Paffey said, I know how many games can a coach win has been questioned uh, that has been answered in the past. The consensus was somewhere around 10 games, as in how many that he contributes for wins and losses. Now seeing these types of losses with the roster, I want to ask, how many games can a coach lose? I would say probably the same, 10. I I think they can win about 10. They can lose you about 10. Yeah, that that seems to, to make sense. Yep. Uh, Olaf as Berserker said, out of the current 32 coaches in the league, where would you place Akins and who would you say is worse? (laughs) <laughs> oh man uh is he worse than rick bonus no probably maybe i don't I know. feel like they're kind of in the same tier and that i mean he he's bottom tier he's he's john tortorella is similar i probably yeah, would maybe but, put but, towards- but tortorella gets results though like that's the thing that we don't like talking about but his teams like the columbus teams at good five on five numbers um the flyers do not right now yeah, but I mean, come on, it's it's a I small know. sample, like, and they're not like they don't have a good roster anyway. Like, I'm not expecting anything from that team. Um, Tortorella is not bottom tier. If anything, he's top tier. Sadly. Oh, I disagree um, there, but okay, moving on. I mean, what's the metric though? I'm I'm just moving on. Moving like, on. Like, I know I know we don't like the personality and what he said about Trevor Zegers, but like, if you just look at how his teams play, they are always good five on five teams. Um, I need to go back and look at the Columbus years. Okay. The, the year in Vancouver was garbage. I remember that. For yes, sure. he was bad in Vancouver, but that was a while ago. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, to be honest, I would put Aikens probably in the lower tier, though. He's in the he's in the bottom tier. Like, there's just yeah. no there's no way he's above average. I can't believe that this is the NHL average. So he's he's at the bottom tier. Yep. Uh, hey, Odiflo said, who is the better line mate for drives that will be paired with this season? Fowler or Kulikov? Akins has used both combos to start this season. Well, so far, results are better um, with Kulikov on the whole, but he's looked good with Drysdale too, or he's looked good with Fowler too. Um, I think he can, be, he can be good with either. I don't think there's really a better quote-unquote partner there. 
Beat Auto's S said with the news that uh, this week that the cap will increase and possibly more in the future. Did Verbeek overplay his hand on waiting for contracts with Zegris and Terry? Also, maybe Drysdale, but he's six months out from being 19. No, because like this is kind of standard practice for the most part. I don't like. I guess he could have signed Zegris and well, Drysdale also, it already. Takes, it takes two to tango. Like that's assuming that those guys wanted to sign their extension right then. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're Trevor Zegers, why would you have wanted to sign the extension last year? Same thing with Jamie Drysdale. Yeah. Same thing so, with Troy Terry. Oh, well, for Troy Terry, I mean, it would have made no sense. True. I think. Troy Terry was more a Ducks decision. I think you want to see it over two years before you give him a big deal. I mean, to be honest, it kind of makes sense for Terry too, though, right? Because he... Cause you can because you can potentially eliminate the argument of oh it's just a sure. one year sure. sample so all right Jared said early in the season most NHL fan bases including ours are either overhyping or overreacting to their team oh yes at what point of the season does one have a good amount of games to fully analyze how a team performs in other words when is it appropriate to hit the panic button I think twenty to twenty five games honestly if if you want to say fifteen that's still a little small to me but like at least I would say at least 20 games before yeah. you can really say for sure, not even for sure, but just have an idea because literally anything can happen in five games at any point in the season. Yeah. Uh, Ducks asks, he posted a tweet of the Boston Bruins uh, in uh, Super Mario Brothers costumes and says, if this was the Ducks, who would be dressing up as Mar- um, Mario? Who would be dressing up as Wario? And who would be dressing up as Princess Peach? Oh, man. Uh, who Who was Peach on the Bruins? I don't, I don't know, but here, I think Trevor Zegers would be Princess Peach because he is the most uh, in tune with his masculinity and does not give a shit. And <laughs> what? Where is I this don't know. coming from? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying he's the one that, that okay. understands himself the most and would not care and Wario, would enjoy the joke. I, I think Wario would be, uh, would be Max Jones, just like the villain. Wario? No. He's got the... It's not Wario, by the way. It's, it's Wario. It's Wario. It's just not... I, I don't know. Um, uh, I Who would, else would be Wario? Wario would need to be the jokester on the team. Yeah, that's Max Jones. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wario's also like... like equal. Uh, Wario's Derek Grant. No. That, yes, meme, memeable. Great, De- great Derek Grant blends into the background too much to be... Uh, Who, who's Mario? Mario? Mario would be... Hmm. I think Trevor Zegers is more Mario to me. Or not, not Trevor Zegers, sorry. Troy Terry. I think Troy Terry, Terry, I could see. I could see Terry's Cam Fowler. Yeah. Hey, 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 said Princess Peach is Derek Grant. He needs to be saved. Princess Peach. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You you could go you could go a couple different ways with. Uh, I I guess Zegers would be Mario. Yeah, just uh, the star of the show. Beat out less said. When do the Ducks' new analytical hires make a difference in the Aikens' decision making, i.e., Grant and others? I mean, I think they kind of have so far, but also is that just, we, we just don't really have a way of knowing, to be honest. Yeah. All it's, right. It's tough to say. The awesome tier said bigger question about the, the Super Mario question. Who's that Donkey Wal- Kong costume is so bad, by the who, way. Who is Waluigi? Oh, so this is like Wario's brother. Hmm. Wario's brother. That's probably Derek Grant. Uh you know, I could see John Klingberg as a Waluigi. Because he's, he's tall of, and lanky? But he's also kind of got that that little streak to him. You know, a little outspoken, kind of <laughs> okay. mischievous streak. Yeah. I'm going John uh, Klingberg. Uh, 
<laughs> Sean fight by the way in our in our YouTube chat is saying Who'd when be, can we get who's who, Yoshi? Wh- when can we get some wrestling talk would Trevor Zegers be the Shawn Michaels of the Ducks and is there a macho man on this team I just need to throw that out there for the wrestling talk uh yes Trevor Zegers is no Trevor Zegers is not Shawn Michaels he's not a uh who is Trevor Zegers is by far the young bucks on this team he's the outgoing I, like I don't can we shoot this down like immediately I the wrestling talk comes from other people. Zegris is Ric Flair. Yes, that is actually a great I don't pull. think this was even a question. Like, can we get back to it, the questions? It's in our YouTube chat. I saw wrestling. I needed to pull it. Uh, Lewis asks, uh, what's better, Cheez-Its or Goldfish, and why is it neither? The um, neither neither is correct. No, neither actually. is not correct. I'm going to go with Cheez-Its. I recently had Goldfish. They're good. They're not as good as Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its, you can't just have one. Like, there's no way that you can get Cheez-Its and not take down the entire box. You absolutely can. It, they, no. they aren't good. No. Um, nope, not at all. Uh, Lewis asked, or not Lewis, uh, Lewis asked that. 91 Pluto, our good friend Connor said, with how much the players speak highly of Aikens, albeit some of that talk is just likely just typical talk positive about your peers' hockey speed, do we think Aikens has a, slash is close to losing the locker room, or are we far away from that? <laughs> oh, my Pers- God. <laughs> personally, I don't think they are, we are there yet, but curious what you think since the players do appear to like him. I don't think he's in. That's just... First off, I don't really know how we're supposed to know that. Like, that's a pretty hard thing to to uh, glean from just watching the game and not being privy to what's going on in the locker room. But, I mean, I just don't think that they're anywhere close to that. Okay. So, we're going to get into questions from YouTube and Twitch. We have some legit ones. I also want to talk more about the wrestling one for a sec when we no. get there. Um, but, for those of you that want to find us, we do a live stream each and every Monday at 8 p.m. I think next week we're actually going to do a 9 p.m. one, though. But, we're at twitch.tv slash crash pond and youtube.com slash crash pond. Uh, if you want to sub- help support us on Twitch, if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub-, sub each and every month, and it helps support us more than you can imagine. YouTube, I'm not sure that there's a way to support us yet but if you can if you're over there please hit that subscribe button if you like what we're doing help us get over a thousand and uh over a thousand subs and i think we can then have subscribers you can support us over there with super chats and things like that but you can uh on twitch you can just be like dissolvey who subscribed for two months uh ken pafu who subscribed for 34 months saying we haven't been praising silverberg enough lately and fat Geralt resub for uh 19 months saying uh question for felix where can i find good local poutine i've been recommended to the croft i think this is local in southern california oh i don't know i believe that there is a uh some kind of like Habs restaurant or bar, uh, I think in Hermosa Beach. So you might want to look into that. But most okay. poutine not in Canada is pretty bad. So all right, here we go. Uh, oh, Harry N- uh, Nascala just chimed in from Finland, saying hello. It's seven a.m. Seven a.m. What what better way to start the day? Coffee and crash the pond. Yeah, beautiful way to start. Coffee the, day. the pond. There you go. Uh, Joe Touch 1000 said, question, there was a shift against Detroit in the second period where Detroit threw at least five hits before the Ducks dumped the puck to center. Is this team not physical enough? No, it just doesn't. That's not the problem. And I think that that was maybe like a one-off shift. Yeah, no. Next question. Um, Curtis said, do you think it's possible that Gibson did in fact ask for a trade this summer due to the team's poor system but pat verbeek convinced slash assured him heads would roll if no signs of improvement i mean everyone came out and said it didn't happen so if we take them at their word then no he didn't um let's see there are some other oh 
Um, Connor had a question. I'm trying to find it very quickly in Twitch saying if the crash upon discord were Bible characters, why would Felix be doubting Thomas? Wait, is doubting Thomas a Bible a character? Re- I, I did not know this, but I actually Googled it. Doubting Thomas is a skeptic. Yes. And this is from the Bible. So I, I, I thought Connor like made up this term. I thought it was made up too. uh, shows my, my Bible knowledge is not the, not the best, but, and, and, yeah. He had another question. Why has I? Why have I, as in Jake, lost the lot the late arrivals locker room with the, my egregious hate of cal uh, or hate of avocados? To be fair, I don't hate avocados. I just don't like them personally. Like I can not I mean, like that, something. That doesn't and, that doesn't change the sentiment though. I don't hate them. Get out! Like, of, get I, out of here! With I, I that. fully respect them. I appreciate the vibes. I just don't like them. Whether I, you whether you don't like them or you hate them, the end result is you don't want to eat them, and so that distinction you're trying to make doesn't actually change anything. <sighs> Alex Olvera said, "Question: How do you think the Ducks play so? Uh, how do you think the Ducks played so far this season compared to the last games of the Carlisle era?" I mean, I think this is very different than the the last days of the Carlisle era. I yeah. think that that if you that, want to talk about losing a room, like that might be your example. Yeah, like though those the were 18, bad. 18 game losing streak or whatever I, it was. I'm curious, uh, Vamp for a sec. I'm curious what that team was under Randy Carlisle, uh, as in as in five v five. So they it were a been, hockey team, I believe. Thanks. It would have been the eighteen nineteen season. I'm yeah, just trying to look up there. I'm just trying to look up their their 5v5 numbers real quick just to see how bad it actually was. Uh, 2.7 expected goals against, 2.224, 45% expected goals, 4%. Yeah, they were 30th out of 31 teams in expected goals, 4%. And that so was, were... I think they played well once he got fired also. So that's with that bump. Uh, with, uh, with, with Bob Murray as the head coach. Remember yeah. those days? Weird times. Those were awful times. Post game pod times. Wouldn't do it again. Well, would do that. Well, those were fun times, but the the content itself of what we had to discuss was not not the best. Harry Niscala said, "Question is, Trot's the answer to game structure problems, or who is Verbeek's guy? Do you have an idea?" I honestly have no clue on this, and I've been trying to think about it, and we even tried to workshop it yesterday in Discord. I don't really know. But I don't think it's a Barry Trotz. I mean, unless the Ducks were really at a point where you can see, like, okay, they're they're one step away from being, like, a true contender. Like, that's to me the kind of team that Barry Trotz would come out and coach. Also, like, just from a personal standpoint, I don't really enjoy watching Barry Trotz coach teams play hockey. Like, I, like it works. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not, like, an effective style, but it's just not the most entertaining and so purely from that perspective, I am not um, I'm not really itching to see that happen. David Ross said if Vancouver continue oh, real quick, my opinion, um, Andrew Burnett. I was really yeah. impressed with how he co- coached Florida. I think that would be a very interesting hire. Um David Ross said, if Vancouver continues to struggle and Bruce Boudreaux is let go, would you consider swapping Akins with Brucey? Yes. Yes. I think Boudreaux is just, an upgrade. Just, just just for the vibes. The, the vibes would be immaculate. No stats, all vibes. There you go. Um, let's go back to the this uh, this uh, question about wrestling. Hey, Odifo is trying to say Boyu is Wardlow. No, Wardlow's good. Boyu's not. Boyu is like, who's a big, oh, he's um Jake Hager. Nathan Boyu is Jake Hager, a guy that just continually eats pins, is just there, basically. Well, John Tavares and- is injured. There you go. That's um, not good. Trevor Zegers is definitely uh, Nick or Matt Jackson. 
or yeah. Adam Cole. He is like in pain. Holy crap. This is bad. Um, let's see. Troy Terry is Oh, Troy Terry is Hangman Adam Page. 100%. Also, rest up Hangman. Hope you feel better. Um, he got a concussion last week. You 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 are just completely tuned out. All right, you want to get to our game? Uh, yes, please. Okay. Anything to to get away from this wrestling talk. Okay. Here's the game I have for you. And it's just something I randomly thought of that I thought would be funny. And I like to make myself laugh. And I like to force you into weird situations to make me laugh. So this is not hockey related. Do you know about the When We Were Young Festival? No, I'm not doing this if this is what it's going to be. I'm Did, opting out. <laughs> there's no opting out. It, it, will, it will be a quick death. Do you know the When We Were Young Festival at all? No. Did you not hear about this? There was a festival no. this past weekend, and it's also next weekend. I don't where, do festivals. Where do, I a lot, like a, do I look like a festival person? <laughs> a, a, lot of the t- a lot of the bands, a lot of the emo bands, pop punk bands from the mid-2000s uh, are, are in this festival. So here's what it is. Connor, you're going to want to say for this because you're going to laugh. I have band names. You have to tell me if it is they played the festival or if it's a random generated name from an, auto, an online uh, band name generator. Okay. And you I'm, don't get to Google. No, I'm looking at Twitter because John Tavares just left the game. Okay. I'm curious. Um, neck deep. When we were young or fake? That's That sounds real. Correct. Neck deep is great. Bayside. I'm going to go with real. Correct. Sharp division. Real. Incorrect. Okay. Online generated name. Uh, a day to remember. Real. Yep. American Panic. Mm. Trying to read your facial expression. (laughs) I'm going to go with fake. It's fake. The starting line. Fake. Completely real. Great band. Uh, The Used. Fake. (laughs) Real. (laughs) Dashboard Confessional. Uh, Real. Very much real. Acting at a Disco. I'm going to go with fake. It is fake. Hawthorne okay. Heights. Real? Real. Puddle of Torch. That <laughs> can't be real. It's not. <laughs> and it just makes sense. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. And then the final one is Jimmy World. That's real. Yeah. I I'm had to that. end with that because of, uh, because of that sweetness. Dis- I'm not that disillusioned. Because of sweetness. Well, that was it. That was all the band names. Okay, that was that was good. You, yeah, you, see, I think you 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 won me back over after the the wrestling snafu. Yeah, see, I can have fun. I thought that would be entertaining, especially for people uh, that enjoyed it or that yeah. enjoy that music and knew all the bands. Yeah, and well, knew what was fake. Well, we are an hour and eighteen into this. Um, should we consider wrapping up? Unless we have anything else we want to touch on. Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything uh, else. Uh, not Connor asked, uh, should they do this, uh, that same game with Lou and metal bands on late arrivals tomorrow? Go check out late arrivals. They're yeah. fun. Like, uh, here's the best way I can put late arrivals comparison, comparing them to us. Picture <sighs> the shit show of the portion portion of the show, except that happens every time Lou decides to talk. <laughs> well, Lou will also just randomly leave. Like he just gets <laughs> up and leaves and it'll just be like, oh yeah, I had to take a call. Like, you know, just what if I did that? Like, it's just funny. Um, 
Also, the Leafs are potentially about to lose again, which is funny. Um, I think should, I they, got, should they do that? Should they do that with Lou and metal bands? I think we got asked a couple questions on Twitter. Oh shit, someone, that's right. Someone DM'd me. Um, you know how is Terry? Essentially, how is Terry to the PK not happened? This is from at this is from Hockey South. I mean, it's weird because when they took some bench miners, right, or Gibson took penalties, they had Terry in the box for it. So they view him as like that low on the totem pole where he's the one serving penalties. <laughs> That's uh, that just says it all. Uh, yeah. Honestly. Yep. Yep. Um, so we have these qu- a couple questions. Thank you for reminding me about Twitter questions. Tony asked, uh, what would it take for Aikens to get let go? The team looks flat again, maybe uh, got our hopes up too much and it's early, but they just look like they're going through the motions of a bunch of bad systems. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it'll take a really, really bad losing streak or just prolonged. Yep. NHL hits, hits ass. Does Gibson have negative value at this point? If not, will another subpar season this year basically diminish any value he had left? I don't think he... I, I mean, kind of. Like, that contract, right? That term is not pretty. Um, no. I think he is a negative value. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Like, like, was, like, like regardless of what you think about his ability, I just don't think teams want to bet on a guy who's got four years left and who's got some injury history and hasn't been good in three years. Like it just, I don't know how that could be a positive value. Yep. Oh, McTavish and Terry were the two guys that serve the penalties. Hmm. Okay. Two guys that I think should get time on the penalty kill. Cause why not? Well, at least Terry. Yeah. You, you could, you could explain why McTavish because of his yeah. inexperience, blah, 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 but n- not Terry. Yep. All right. Anything else that you've got? Anything you want to talk about from the past week? Um, got a lot of pushback on Twitter yesterday. I think every time I talk about football now, like there's at least a few people that are just automatically enraged. Yeah, because you troll. Did you see me getting you, dumped you, on? You, you try to you like are in on purpose trying to make people mad. My my by my fellow colleagues at the fourth period just yeah. dunking all over me. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think people think I'm being. There is some degree of me being serious, but all <laughs> I will all I will say is that I'm glad that the 49ers have a home game uh, to bounce back this week after that loss to the Chiefs. Sure. And by home game, I mean they're playing at SoFi Stadium, which is basically their home away from home. Uh, they have dominated the Rams. Wow, I I did not know that was the game this weekend, and I just said well, there's going to be that. Rams fans listening to this that will already be offended without like me haven't explained that yeah Con- connor has a final question for you and i'm waiting for it to chime in i'm assuming it has to do with is this is what- he about the bible because i i'm just i'm gonna caution that i don't have an answer there there you go uh let's see what fe- what he has to say and we'll end with that then we will oh while we're waiting for that we got some new reviews okay here we go uh okay. how did it feel to go all in with a trade for mccaffrey just to get blown out by a real Super Bowl contender. I mean, that's just a dumb question. I don't even think it's really a question. It's just more meant to be an insult. Um, look, think good things take time. Uh, you know, Christian McCaffrey has to gel into the offense. They had some guys coming back from injury, you know, maybe not fully 100%. It's going to take some time. It's okay. I think the 49ers are going to be right there. The NFC is wide open. Certainly the NFC West is wide open. The, the Los Angeles Rams look, look hapless. Matt Stafford has turned back into a pumpkin uh actually the rams were trying to get uh christian okay. mccaffrey J- j- jumping in before you you keep going on this we actually going to end with a hockey question joe touch 1000 has a good good point here 
that should be brought up about Terry on the PK. Could the prevailing thought be that there are limited minutes a player can play per game and therefore they want to save every minute for offensive play? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like, it's probably not ideal to have your your top offensive winger also be playing on the penalty kill. But if, if he's got that in his game, if he's got that ability, then why not? You know? Yeah, and I, and I think it's a situation where if you add, realistically, right, penalty kill is maybe going to add a minute or two of ice time. But those are taxing minutes, though. Like, we have to acknowledge that those are not easy Fair. minutes. You, Fair. The, the injury risk is probably higher in those minutes. Fair. Um. Like Fair you point. could see, you could see why a coach would not want uh, yep. to play him. Uh, yeah. Okay. So Matt, Matt Stafford, uh, pumpkin, but let's, uh, <laughs> getting some pushback in our chat. Let's, uh, let's, let's head out of here though. Let's, let's, let's tell some people about how they can support us though. The number one way that you can do so, um, is check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash crash the pond for $1 a month. You get access to our patrons only uh, discord server, which as you can tell, like within this, the, the, the span of this podcast, like we refer back to a lot because some great discussions happen in there. You can connect with other diehard ducks fans. It's just a lot of fun. And it's for just $1 a month. How many, how many deals are out there for $1 these days? Um, I don't know. Not that many for $5 a month. You get access to that plus two bonus podcasts every month. Uh, Jake just talked about it. We talked about it earlier. Uh, we did our full ranking of every reverse retro jersey. It was quite the task, but we did it, and I think that we 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 came up big. We came up with a good episode there. Um, so that's all at Patreon.com/slash/CrashThePond. Uh, if you don't want to pledge any money monthly, though, it's totally fine. Uh, you can actually just search for us on Apple Podcasts, search Crash the Pond, and over there you can leave us a rating and a review. And if you leave us a review, we will read it on the show. And today. We actually have two new reviews, so let's uh, let's get into them here. This is a review from Justin Beck, eleven, great friend of the show in our Discord as well. Title of the of the review: Must Listen Ducks Podcast. Five stars for this Ducks podcast. Jake and Felix have created an incredible community for Ducks fans to enjoy their favorite team, from the podcast to the Discord chat to their engagement with listeners and even meetups at the games. That's right, there are meetups. It's a perfect balance of what I've wanted as a fan for a long time. The blend of biased slash unbiased opinions backed by the numbers and knowledge of hockey gives listeners a real feel for what's happening on and off the ice. If the Ducks wanted to improve their streaming app, which is already good, I agree, they'd invest in these guys as one of their channels. Keep up the good work. So, wow, that is uh, that is high praise. Really appreciate that. Really nice of you, Justin. Yes, um, definitely. And I mean, that's what we're going for, right? Like, I think that as a fan, of as a sports fan myself, like, I want to... That's what I want as a fan is I just want, like, tell me what's going on. You know, I don't want to just be completely beaten down, but give me an unbiased opinion. And well, and I think we want to try to all, we want to try to always bring a little bit of a different conversation than you're going to hear elsewhere. Because I, I think that's what's so important is you can find a lot of the same conversations happening on Twitter, happening on uh, on Ducks Radio or wherever you find it. And I think just bring something a little bit different is what we try to pride ourselves in. Yep, and then this one is from Johnny Burek. Uh, this is Five Stars, Best Ducks Podcast. Uh, this is Five Stars. Said, Setting aside all of Felix's extremely hot takes. Jeez, I don't know I don't know what the, what that's all about. I've, I don't drop any hot takes here. Uh, this is the go-to podcast for Ducks news slash breakdowns. So thank you, Johnny. Appreciate yep. that. Yep. Appreciate that quite a bit. I, these are both exactly what we go for, and we love doing it for you guys. 
Yep. I mean, that's that's the goal here. And yeah, so if you want to leave us a review, uh, we love hearing from you guys. And, you know, these these reviews can also be uh, teaching t- moments for us, too. If there's something that we can improve, it's a way I've of letting a- us know. I've added the amount of time of each podcast now, I think. Yeah, because Hopefully. of what a, because of a review. So yep. they, these do actually help us and they help you ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways to support us, though, check us out on Spotify. Jake talked about it. We're on YouTube. We live stream on Twitch every Monday. Uh, but really for everything, though, that you need to know, uh, number one, you can check out our website, CrashThePond.com. We've got a shop there, uh, T-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, everything you need to be geared up for the season. But really check us out on Twitter, uh, at CrashThePond. And Jake is on Twitter, at ReindeerGames91. And I'm on Twitter, at Felix underscore Sicard. If you just follow us there, and Jake is showing off the hoodie on screen, which is great. Uh, if you just follow us on Twitter, like you'll you'll know what's going on. You'll, you'll be up to date. Uh, on that note, as I get called out more and more in the, in the chat, I see. Um, we're going to get out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. And oh, the next time we talk to you, it'll be Halloween. Yep, 9 p.m. on Halloween, everyone. Yeah, yeah, we're doing full, uh, full spooky season edition. Will, will oh. we be in costume? Who can say? We could. Who? Who? Should we? Should we dress up as Derek Grant? I don't know how uh, we would do that. I, yeah. Wow. I don't even know. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.